Shorter Catechism. We're considering question 61, what is forbidden? So we've looked at the duties required in the fourth commandment. We've looked at the fourth commandment itself, how the Sabbath is to be sanctified, various questions, and now we're looking at the sins forbidden. The fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required. Now this word omission is where you leave something out that should be there. So omitting is leaving out a duty that is required. Now a careless performance is where something is not carefully done. With a slack hand, for example. But let's look at a couple passages of scripture. Malachi chapter 1 verse 13, he said, Also behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? So the people of God in their day would come to the temple, and they would bring their sacrifices and their freewill offerings, And they would bring things that were torn and lame and sick. We looked at this, of course, in Deuteronomy 17. God requires that we bring him our best. And so this is the people coming in a careless way to the worship of God, which was done on the Sabbath, as well as on their new moons and other festivals. But principally on the weekly Sabbath, they would come and it was a weariness to them. They were careless in the things that they did. They left out things. They snuffed at it. They didn't think it was that important. They didn't consider it of high esteem and honor the Sabbath and the worship of God. They dishonored it and thought of it in a low way. Amos chapter 8 verses 4 and 5. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone? that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit. Now this is a particularly grievous sin that they were committing, but you'll notice they couldn't really wait until the Sabbath was over. They wanted to get back to their things, and not just their things, but their crimes. Because when a person makes the poor of the land to fail. That's the exact opposite that God says, lend him sufficient for his need, and then he won't fail and fall into poverty and slavery. So you ought to take care of your brother and give him sufficient for his need. And that's not what they're doing, is it? It's the opposite. They're making them to fail. And they do that by selling corn to them, and they just can't wait till the Sabbath is done. So they're actually a Sabbath-keeping people. They're actually doing the Sabbath, but they're doing it carelessly. They're doing it with omission. They're leaving out the principal portion of the Sabbath, which is the meditation on the word and works of God. And they are rushing to their day of profit. And when they're in their day of profit, they make the ephah small and the shekel great. Now that's a way of saying something. If you have an ephah of wheat or grains... And you take that ephah and you make it small, and you make the shekel great, means you get more money for less goods. That's what they're doing. They're robbing people by fraud. Oh, we'll sell you this 
here's your ephah, but it's actually seven-eighths of an ephah. But we're going to sell it to you as an ephah and charge you more. You see that? That's deceit mixed with thievery. And here it's mixed with Sabbath breaking because they can't wait to finish up the Sabbath so that they can move on to their covetousness. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 22 through 25. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Now often we just think about 24 and 25, and those are excellent passages, very pointed, very useful. But if you look in the context, he's been talking about the priesthood of Christ and how through the body of Christ we have access to God. Through the sprinkling of his blood we have pure consciences. And this is the context for the assembling of God's people together. So we draw near, that's an act of worship, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, if we are careless in the worship of God, we will not draw near with the full assurance of our faith. We will not consider the internal sprinkling of the conscience that we have through the blood of Christ. And although we may go through some external forms of worship, we will not unite that with a true and lively faith by which we appropriate those good things that are held forth in our worship. So the holding fast of our profession of faith without wavering, the drawing near with our conscience sprinkled, with a true heart and full assurance, that all is in the context of the Lord being worshipped by us, by us coming into his presence by not omitting those things that God requires, and certainly not being careless, as if we could just go through the external motions without the internal effect on our hearts and consciences and on our faith that Hebrews identifies here. And then in that context, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So in the context of the worship of God through the mediation of Christ, and the internal moving of the Spirit on our conscience, and the assurance of our faith with a true heart, that's how we consider one another to provoke one another unto love and to good works. And then verse 25 describes that, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That would be an omission of the duties that God requires, leaving out something that he says you should do on the Sabbath, not forsaking, but rather assembling And then also he refers to exhorting one another. Now, exhortation is exactly what he's been doing. If you look at verse 22, let us. That's an exhortation. Verse 23, let us. That's another exhortation. Verse 24, let us. That's another exhortation. And so we're to exhort one another. And this happens in the pulpit ministry, but also as believers gather together. They encourage one another and the good things that God requires them to do so that we don't omit those things or perform them in a careless way, those duties that God requires of us. And then part two there on your handout. 
The fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning the day by idleness or doing that which is in itself sinful. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13 where the prophet says, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Now, Isaiah is referring to this very sin of profaning the day by idleness, and he does it in two ways, uh, or three. One is doing thy pleasure on my holy day, that is, seeking to please yourself. Idleness is one of those things that's very sweet to man, to do nothing. So you're sitting there doing whatever it is you want to do, you're being idle. Then he calls it not doing thine own ways. Again, what are the ways of man? Well, in our sinful condition, we might want to just please ourselves and sit around being idle or go and look at you know our our business or our worldly things and seek out our own ways find our own pleasure and then this last clause is very interesting when he says speaking thine own words in hebrew it's literally speaking your speech it's just the verb and the noun for debar is the word And then you're speaking your speech. You're wording your words. You're just saying things. They're kind of uh, idle things. Things of no purpose. Things to no consequence. They're just words that you speak. Wording, wording. You're just talking. Chatter, you might say. Idle chatter, we call it. So Isaiah is really focusing our attention that the Sabbath is not a day to just do whatever you please, to be idle in your own things and speak words that are to no purpose. Ezekiel 23, verses 37 through 39. The prophet says that they have committed adultery and blood is in their hands and with their idols have they committed adultery and have also caused their sons whom they bear unto me to pass for them through the fire to devour them. Moreover, this they have done unto me. They have defiled my sanctuary in the same day and have profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slain their children to their idols, then they came the same day into my sanctuary to profane it. And lo, thus have they done in the midst of mine house. This is really disgusting. If you consider that they claimed, think about this for a second, they claimed that the reason they went into captivity was because their fathers sinned. We read about this in Ezekiel 18. These are the people who claimed that they were put into captivity for the sins of somebody else. That's how wicked they were. Ezekiel is describing under God's inspiration what sort of people they actually were. Adulterous, murderous, idolatrous, and then having absolutely no regard for even God's restriction on their sincerity, they thought, let's offer our kids in fire to God. He'll certainly be pleased with this. And the day on which they did these things was the Sabbath. 
And right after they finished offering their kids in fire to Moloch, they'd show up in the house of God the very same day on the Sabbath and would profane it. So not just idleness, as Isaiah says, but they were doing things that were sinful in themselves. And that, when we sin on the Sabbath, every sin is a double sin. Because not only are you sinning in whatever commandment God says you're not to, or you do this and you omit it, but now you're also profaning the Sabbath. So their murder is a Sabbath-breaking and a murder. Their adultery is an adultery and a breaking of the Sabbath. The murder of their children is the murder of their children, plus a violation of the Sabbath. So these are all descriptions of the sort of people who claim victim status. Oh, it's our parents' fault. That's why I'm suffering in captivity. It's because our parents, they ate sour grape, but our teeth are set on edge. I didn't do this to myself. You see, obviously they did. Okay, now, Mark chapter 1, second page of your handout there. Mark chapter 1, I just cite a couple of verses out of 21 through 34. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. Okay, so I want you to see something. Just think about what this tells us about our Lord. Is immediately... Right on the beginning of the Sabbath, as soon as the doors are open, what's he doing? He's there in the synagogue. Okay, what's he busying himself with? He's teaching. Then down in 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Then verse 25, and Jesus rebuked him, and saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. Okay, so he's in the synagogue teaching, straightway on the Sabbath, first thing he does. Then he heals a man in the Sabbath after having taught. And then notice, verse 29. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And then, of course, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, verse 31. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, And them that were possessed with devils, verse 34, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils. How did Jesus spend his Sabbath? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Did he idle away the day? Sit around doing nothing? Seeking his own pleasures? No. He goes into the house of God to worship. There he teaches the word. He heals. And as soon as he leaves... He goes over to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law. And then after finishing healing the mother-in-law, it's the sunset already. He's there healing all sorts of diseases, all sorts of demon-possessed people come to him and he casts out the demons. He's doing good the whole day. Remember, the sundown is still the Sabbath. So it's still the Sabbath day that he's filling up with all these good things that he's doing. In other words, Christ is an example for us of how we ought to think about the Sabbath. What are the duties God has set before me on this Sabbath? I'm going to busy myself with those things. And doing the will of God, and for him that meant he was a public teacher in the church, so he goes and fulfills that office. For him that meant he was to heal those who are afflicted, so he does it. And again, and again, and again, throughout the whole day, none of the day is spent in idleness. So it's a tremendous convicting example of how our Lord 
spent his Sabbath, and that's what we're talking about here, not profaning the day with idleness. And then part three there, the fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning the day by idleness or doing that which is in itself sinful or by unnecessary thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments or recreations. Of course, Isaiah 58 talks about doing our own pleasure, um, seeking our own ways, doing our own ways, finding our pleasure, speaking just these idle words. These are all things that are not necessary, but we allow them to crowd in to those things that God has commanded us to do on his holy day. And then Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 through 5, and verses 11 and 12. Verse 3, But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was in hunger, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law, how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Now just something to think about here. Why does Jesus bring up the showbread? Well, we looked at this in the life of David, that on the Sabbath day they would switch out the bread. They would bring in hot bread and they would take out the old bread that was there from the prior Sabbath. And the bread that was taken out from the prior Sabbath would be eaten by the priest and his family. And so David had pointed out when he was there, the bread is in a manner common because it's no longer the show bread. It's now been removed. So he asked for that bread by name. He specifically named it because it was the Sabbath and they needed food. And that, man, that bread was, so to speak, common, David says. But be that as it may, here you see Christ makes an argument. People need to eat on the Sabbath. It is a work of necessity. You can't put it off. You can't say, well, I'm not going to eat on the Sabbath. I'm going to fast. That would, that would disable you from the duties of the day. And consequently, you have to eat. And so there are works of necessity. And also there are works of piety, we call this. That is where on the Sabbath day, the priests are there working in the temple. And they're working hard on the temple. And there's no fault There's no blame that you can attach to that. It is necessary to worship God on the Sabbath because God commands it and therefore they're blameless for the works that they do. Then verse 11. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. So these are the works of mercy on the Sabbath day. These are necessary in God's providence at times. If your animal falls into a ditch you should, or a pit here, you should pull him out. You will lay hold and lift it out. That's hard work. But you're not going to find fault with a man who does that because it's necessary. These are necessary. That's why the catechism doesn't say, all thoughts, words, or works about our worldly employments or recreation, but all unnecessary. That's the qualification. They are not necessary. They could wait till later. Then they wait till later. If they cannot wait till later, like eating food or saving an animal for most certain death, then you do it. Okay. Now, I provided here a series of quotations. I do want to talk about them because I think they illustrate. These are 
church fathers, medieval theologians, things like that. The Venerable Bede said the following, The apostles therefore ordained the Lord's Day to be kept with religious solemnity because our Redeemer on it rose from the dead, which was therefore called the Lord's Day. That resting in the same from all earthly acts and the temptations of the world, we might intend God's holy worship, giving this day due honor for the hope of the resurrection we have therein. Now notice here a couple of things. One is the apostles ordained the Lord's day, not the church, not the bishops. The apostles ordained the Lord's day. It's a divine institution. And notice also, what are we to do with the Lord's day? We're to rest from all earthly acts, any act merely associated with your temporal life and those things that are sinful in themselves, the temptations of the world, so that we might do what? Intend God's holy worship, honoring this day. This is right out of Isaiah 58, giving honor to it. And then in memory of the resurrection of Christ, who is our life. Page three there, John Chrysostom, a Unfortunately, I had to criticize John Chrysostom last week, so let me commend him to you this week. Let us prescribe this as an immovable law to ourselves, to our wives and children, to set aside one day of the week, and that wholly to hearing and laying up of things heard. Now, Chrysostom is not saying you can't do necessary works. That's not the point. It's that all the time that you have on the Lord's day that is free to you, you're to use it to your utmost power, completely and entirely, to either hearing or laying up of the things heard. So improving on what you've learned. This can include reading. This can include your own private worship. And it must include that, of course, and family worship. But the public ordinances, he's emphasizing here, the laying up of the word of God. Okay, so Chrysostom and then Augustine. This day is called the Lord's Day, that in it, abstaining from earthly works and worldly pleasures, we should only give ourselves to the service of God. We, being sequestered from rural work and all kinds of business, may be wholly taken up in the service of God. For so we rightly sanctify the Lord's Sabbath, as the Lord has said, in it, thou shalt do no manner of work. Let no man employ himself in hunting, which is this day a devilish exercise. That's pretty strong language. If you're hunting on the Lord's day, you're being like a demon. And so he talks again about sequestering yourself. Don't be out working in the fields. Any kind of business you have in the city, don't do it. Be wholly taken up in the service of God. This is Augustine. Clement of Rome in the Apostolic Constitution says... We admonish you, brethren and fellow servants, that ye fly vain words and filthiness, pleasant jests, drunkenness, wantonness, broken and effeminate motions, intemperate dancings, with scurrilous discourses. For on the Lord's day, which are days of rejoicing, we do not permit you to speak or to do anything not honest. For the scripture saith, in a certain place, serve the Lord in fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Now, what's interesting, when you read the apostolic fathers or the church fathers of the early period, before you get to the lawlessness and wickedness of later ages, they're very serious about the Lord's Day, and they see it as the fulfillment of the, Christ, of the Sabbath of the Jews, but transferred to the first day of the week because of the resurrection of Christ by the apostles themselves. And they'll often condemn these kinds of dance, dancing and drunkenness as Jewish practices on the Sabbath. And they'll say, don't be like the Jews in sloth. We'll see this actually here from Ignatius. But they'll often say the Jews observe their Sabbath by wasting the day away. So they, they might have pretended to be really righteous, but they actually weren't. They didn't keep the Sabbath at all. So there, Ignatius let us no longer keep the Jewish Sabbath in sloth and idleness, for it is written that he that will not labor should not eat, and in the sweat of thy brows thou shalt eat thy bread. But let every one of us keep the Sabbath spiritually, not in bodily ease, but in the study of the law. Not eating meat dressed yesterday or drinking lukewarm drinks or walking out a limited space not in dancing and senseless sporting, but in the admiration of the works of God. And setting aside the Sabbath, that is the Jewish Sabbath he's been talking about, let everyone that loveth Christ keep the Lord's day holy, the queen and empress of all days, the resurrection day, in which our life was raised again and death was overcome by our Lord and Savior. So all that to say, we as Christians, as Reformed Christians, it's not like we came up with these doctrines ourselves. These are taught in the Bible. And in the better days of the church, these were common and standard doctrines among the church fathers about the Lord's Day, how it should be observed, not with idleness, not with sports, not with hunting, not with wasting away the day with pleasant jests and broken and effeminate motions dancing, scurrilous discourses. No. The Lord's Day is to be holy unto God, and anything that is holy is not to be treated in a common or ordinary way. We're to lay up the words of God, grow in our knowledge of His truth, and in the practice of it in our lives. So just to give you kind of a a flavor for the history, they call it a Puritan Sabbath. It's actually just what the Scriptures teach. And that's been recognized by others throughout the history of the church.